Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Up to on page seven. Bless you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who has not made me a woman. And now we come to the last of these uh, three set of blessings. Thank you, Hashem, that you did not make me a woman. Now, we love our women. We're not putting down our women. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look, go into the Torah, and what did God tell Abraham? The very first Jewish husband, listen to Sarah. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen. Sarah, the Torah tells us, is a greater prophetess than Abraham. Next generation repeated itself. Rivka, Isaac wanted to bless Esau. Rivka said, no, mistake. You have to bless Yaakov. And later on, Yitzchak agreed. She was right and he was wrong. The Jewish people left Egypt in the merit of the Jewish women. They had faith. When they sang the song after the splitting of the sea, they sang, everyone had a tambourine. They had instruments. The men didn't have any instruments because the men didn't believe. They didn't have faith. We're leaving Egypt, sure. It's like telling a Jew in the 1920s, you're leaving Stalinist Russia. Yeah, sure. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was incredible. They just couldn't believe it. The women believed. Moshe says, we're leaving, we're leaving. No questions asked. They packed the tambourines. The men were caught, the court uh, unprepared. When it came time with the sin of the golden calf, the women didn't participate. Not because you can't get a Jewish woman to part from her jewelry, the Jew within jewelry. Because when it came time to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the women were the first ones to donate everything. They gave all the jewelry. The spies, who didn't want to enter into the promised land? It was the Jewish men. Not the Jewish women. The Jewish women did enter the promised land. The daughters of Tzlavchad. Only the men died out in the desert, not the women. They had faith. You see throughout Jewish history that if anything, the women is more connected than the men. What we're saying is that, that we have the opportunity of doing all 613 mitzvot. A woman is exempt from certain, certain time, a handful of mitzvot certain time-bound mitzvah, like putting on tefillin, the lulav, the shofar, sukkah, certain time-bound mitzvah. When it comes to all the holidays, the Jews were the heroines. Esther, around the corner, Purim, Esther. Megillus Esther, she was the heroine. Hanukkah, Yehudas. She inspired the Jewish people to fight. The daughter of the high priest, Yochanan the high priest, she chopped off the head of the, of the leader of the enemy. And again, you have to go back to the, you have to go back to the beginning. The very first man and the very first woman. What's the name of the very first woman? Chava. You know what Eve means? You know what the root of the word Eve? What's the root of the word Eve? Like anything else that they translated. They got everything wrong. A, it wasn't an apple. <laughs> Her name was not Eve. It wasn't a rib. They got the whole story wrong. You know what the root of Eve, Eve you know where Eve comes from? Yes, what does Eve sound like? What's the root? Evil. Evil. Because in the Christian mind, in the Western world, the woman is a temptress. She's Eve. 
What does the Torah call Chava? Why is he called Chava? What's the root of the word Chava? The The mother of all life. She's the giver of life. Only God has the ability to create life. Who does God give that power to? To the woman. We make a tiny contribution. <laughs> but it's the woman who carries the baby. It's her life. We were all carried by our mothers. It's the woman who gives life. She's the source of life. And the greater the potential, when there's a void, the greater the impurity. The Torah says, when you give birth, when a mother gives birth to a baby boy, she's impure for seven days. The eighth day, the bris, she's pure. She can be with her husband. When she gives birth to a baby girl, she's impure for four, two weeks. And then it says she counts 66 days, double the amount. With a boy, it's 33 days. And then with a, with a girl, it's 66 days, another 66 days, altogether a total of 80 days. And then she brings a sacrifice, and then she can eat from the, on the 81st day, she can bring, eat from the holies, from the temple, from the sacrifices. With a boy, you only have to wait 40 days, four, or seven days, plus 33, 40 days. And the 41st day, she brings a sacrifice, and she brings the bird, she brings sacrifice, and then she can eat from the temple, from the sacred. So you see, with a girl, it's double. Why is the impurity double? Because the potential for holiness is double. Because the girl is the one who has the ability to create life. God gave that ability only to a woman, not to men. A man can stand in his talus and his tefillin from the rap from today till tomorrow, never feel as close to Hashem as when the woman who gives childbirth, who's the creation, the miracle of creation. She's a partner with Hashem in the miracle of creation. We can create something that, that lives on in, infinitely, that can give birth and give birth ad infinitum till the end of time. Because there's such great potential for holiness, when there's a void, the impurity is also double. So you see, if anything, the power of the woman is so much more powerful. And that's the very reason why the woman is exempt from mitzvot, of these time-bound mitzvot. And that's why our Jewishness follows the mother. If the mother is Jewish, the child is 100% Jewish. If the mother is not Jewish, the child is 1,000% not Jewish. E, not because we don't know who the father is. A, that's insulting. But even if you take a DNA test and you establish 100% that the father is Jewish, the child is certifiably, halachically, 100% not Jewish. Why do you follow the mother? When it comes to being a Kohen and a Levi in Israel, you follow the father. But when it comes to the, our Jewishness, our Jewish soul, that we get from the Yiddish Imam. The Jewish people, with all due respect, did not survive because of the rabbis. It survived because of the Yiddish Imam who instilled that Jewish soul, that Jewish pride. As Freud said, after th- by three, it's all over. The first form- formative years, even in the womb, it's the mother who carries the child, it's her baby, and she instills that Jewishness and that Jewish pride. It all comes from the mother. Because the Jewish mother sacrifices herself for her family. The Torah exempts her from mitzvah. Can you imagine if she had to, if she's obligated to put on tefillin and run every morning to the minion? 
Who's gonna Who's gonna send the kids off to school? Who's gonna Who's gonna raise the children? Who's gonna run the house? Who's gonna He's the pillar of the house, the pillar of the family. She'll be busy with her studying Torah all day and busy running to the kollel and busy, busy with her obligations and the mitzvot. So she sacrifices. She makes the ultimate sacrifice. Because for a Jew to sacrifice a mitzvah, a mitzvah is an opportunity to touch the divine, to connect with the divine. So the Jewish mother sacrifices her own mitzvot, her own spiritual advancement, her own spiritual growth for the sake of others, her children, her husband. So even though externally she's sacrificing, she's missing out. She doesn't have all 630. The man has all 630. And that's why we thank Hashem. It's the only reason we thank Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for not making me a woman, for giving me the opportunity to do all 613 mitzvot, that obligation to study Torah and to do all 613 mitzvot. But the fact that she is ready to sacrifice her own spiritual advancement for the sake of her divine mission, this is why she determines the Jewishness of the child. Because that ability of self-sacrifice, that is the core and essential value of Judaism, of Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit is not about ego. Yiddishkeit is not about my personal self-advancement, even my personal spiritual self-advancement. Yiddishkeit is about what does Hashem want? What does Hashem need? And the fact that she has that egolessness, that ultimate sacrifice, it's one thing to sacrifice something material. What am I sacrificing? Some, something that's really essentially, inherently nonsensical. It has no real value. Society says it's a value, but really in the scheme of things, it's not a real value. But for me to sacrifice my mitzvot, to sacrifice my spiritual and godly mitzvot, for the sake of my children, my babies, my husband, my family, my home, that's the ultimate sacrifice. And yet she does it willingly and joyfully. And she is the pillar of the home, of a happy home. And she encourages her sons and her husband, go to the kollel, go study. I don't want your home, go home, go, go study. <laughs> go, go learn more Torah. It's a value by her. And when it's a value by her, it becomes a value by him. She is the pillar of the home. So that's why she determines the Jewish soul. That ability of self-sacrifice, this is what makes us Jewish. This is the essence of being Jewish. It's about egolessness. And that's why we thank Hashem. Shaloya Sani Isha. On a deeper level, also the Kabbalists say that at night that we didn't we don't have the soul of a Isha attach itself to the man. Everyone has to, everyone knows their clear role and mission and purpose. And Equality doesn't mean that we're all the same and we all look alike. You know, it's not fear that the women have babies, maybe the men should have babies, to maybe to equal it out. Freedom and equality doesn't mean that we're all identical and we're all alike. That's very superficial and very childish and very... That's not, free, that's not true equality. True equality means that everyone has their inherent value and everyone has their inherent mission and they're proud of their mission it's interesting <laughs> those 
women whose husbands say this blessing each and every day have no problem with women's rights. They never had any problem. Judaism doesn't need fixing. Judaism is beautiful. It's been around for 3,800 years, and the women never felt second class, and they never felt uh, they, don't need to, they don't need any equal rights. There's never, never any problem. The woman was always the pillar of the home, and she was always elevated, if you look at Judaism from the inside out, because Judaism is a spiritual society, versus when you look at Judaism from the outside looking in with Western glasses, where the more egotistical and the louder something is, the more real it is. So then the woman says, wait a minute, what am I? I'm, I'm like a secondary role, position. I'm in the background. But in a Jewish society, in a spiritual society, it's the exact opposite. The quieter something is, the more real it is. What's the highest part of the davening? It's called a silent prayer. That's the holiest part of the davening. The Torah. has three covers to the Torah. The Torah has a mantle. You have a door and you have a curtain. The foundation, no one ever sees a foundation. But I don't care about the rest of the building. You better make sure that foundation is solid. There's a crack in the foundation. The whole building is worthless. But the foundation, that's the most important thing, but it's quiet. No one calls an interior decorator for the foundation, but the foundation better be solid. Whatever is deeper, whatever is quieter, you know, people could talk about superficial things. Try to get people to talk about something that's real, something that's really, real. We can barely even talk about it ourselves, let alone with others. Something that's real, it's very quiet. In the spiritual society, the deeper something is, the quieter it is. The more real it is. Judaism doesn't happen in the synagogue, in the public. Judaism happens at home. That's the pillar of Judaism. That's where Judaism takes place. The Holy of Holies is the bedroom. It's not, it's not the, the synagogue. Our kitchen, our home, our bedroom, that's where Judaism goes down. That's where Hashem is present. That's where it really is at. It's all private. It's intimate. Judaism is about a marriage, a relationship between us and Hashem. It's, it's intimate. It's, it's real. It's not about the show and the surface and who's out there, who's up there standing up and making noise. You know, it's like the difference between the uh, male perspective and the feminine perspective. If you ask someone, what makes a letter? What makes the letters of the words? So you have the masculine response and you have the feminine response. The masculine response would be, what makes the words? What makes the letters? It's the ink. The ink. But the feminine response, and the more correct response, is it's not the ink that makes the letters. It's the space around it. <laughs> it's what's not there that makes the letters. It's what you don't see. That's what makes the letters. Otherwise, the ink would just be a blotch of ink. One edge of the page to the other, it would be meaningless. It's, it's what you sculpt out. It's what's not there. It's the space. That's the story. That's what makes the letters. But that's a more subtle, that's the feminine perspective. You look at everything a little more subtly, deeper, from a purely spiritual point of view. There's a whole school of art. It's painting around it. It's like sculpting around it what's not there. That, that's what you really see. What's not there? It's the space around it. So it's that egolessness and that spirituality and that godliness. This is what makes the woman so, so special. So it's not a woman who wants to copy the men. Oh, he's putting on film. I want to put on film. Oh, he's. <laughs> that's not. That's not. That's not. That's a complete misunderstanding, a complete misreading of everything. 
the whole Judaism, Judaism doesn't need fixing. We don't need Betty Friedan to come along and to fix Judaism. No, thank you. <laughs> Judaism is divine. Judaism is godly. Judaism is perfect. It doesn't need any fixing. We don't have to start women, start putting on tefillin. No, Judaism is perfect. If you understand Judaism from the inside out, can you imagine? Rosh Hashanah. What's Rosh Hashanah? What makes Rosh Hashanah? Blowing of the shofar. Imagine Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, there's no shofar. It's like sitting down to the Seder, no matzah. <laughs> Can you imagine? What's a Seder without matzah? What's Rosh Hashanah without blowing shofar? You put on tefillin six days a week. The men put on tefillin six days a week. Come Shabbos, the holiest day of the week. What happened? No tefillin. Why not? Because the Torah says that Shabbos Rosh Hashanah that falls out on Shabbos, so you don't need shofar. Whatever Rosh Hashanah is going to accomplish, Shabbos will accomplish it for you. Shabbos, you don't need tefillin. Shabbos, the holiness of Shabbos is the equivalent of tefillin. If someone insists on putting on tefillin on Shabbos, it's a desecration of Shabbos and it's a desecration of tefillin because there's no clue what tefillin is, no clue what Shabbos is. But it's not fear. Six days a week I put on tefillin on Shabbos, not. When the Torah tells a woman she doesn't have to put on tefillin, the Torah is telling you it's like Shabbos. It's like Rosh Hashanah that falls out on Shabbos. You don't need to blow the shofar. You don't need the tefillin. And if you insist on putting on tefillin, it's a desecration of the Shabbos, a desecration of the tefillin. You have no understanding of Jewish femininity, of the mystique of Jewish femininity, of the holiness and the specialness of Judaism and the whole Jewish way of life and the godly way of life. And if you truly understand it from the inside out, instead of looking at Judaism from the outside, looking in with Western colored glasses, from a purely egotistical point of view, it's all about power and who who's makes more noise and who makes less noise, then Judaism doesn't need any fixing. It's perfect, it's beautiful, it's divine, it's godly, it's whole. So anyone who understands Judaism from the inside out understands that none of these blessings, we're not putting anyone down, we're not putting anything down, on the contrary. But we're thanking Hashem for giving us the opportunity for doing all 613 mitzvot. Shlomo Sanayi Isha, why is it in the negative? You've made all the good features of that woman, but why is it made in the negative? I mean, you should have said Shlomo Ish, they made me a man. So that's the same reason we said earlier, that firstly, we don't thank Hashem for making me existence we don't thank Hashem for existence existence per se is not something that's praiseworthy what's praiseworthy is if you serve Hashem that's what's praiseworthy if it's associated with a mitzvah but just existence I exist is not exactly something that's praiseworthy it's ego yeah same concept but at least you didn't make me if you made me already you didn't make me so you gave me the opportunity to do all 613 mitzvah. The Hasidah says that the same concept we discussed earlier, see, every advantage also becomes a disadvantage in the wrong context. Every man and woman, each one of them has strengths. But that very strength in another context could become a weakness. Women personalize everything. That's why she's the essence of relationships. She's the soul of relationships. She lives for relationships. Everything is about relationships. Man is abstract. A man doesn't personalize anything. You know, a trip of a lifetime. It'll give you, in 10 minutes, you have the whole story. There's nothing more to say. 
You have a woman, a, tri- a trip to, a trip to, to Macy's. It's, it's, you have three hours. It's a whole experience. It's not just, what do you mean? There's so much to say and so much to discuss. And because it's an advantage. She personalizes everything. Everything is an experience with her. Everything she experiences, she takes it very deeply personal. In another context, that becomes a disadvantage. Being a judge or being a witness, you have to be completely objective. You have to be completely detached. A woman, she can't be detached. What do you mean detached, objective? I'm totally, it's totally experiential. It's very, very deeply personal. Everything is deeply personal. Here, the quality of a man, it works perfect. You're completely detached, even when you shouldn't be. But here, you're detached. So you can give a very clear, objective report, no personal influence or interest whatsoever. So there could be a Judaism where it's very deeply personal. It's about my relationship with Hashem. My connection with Hashem. And that fills me with such feelings of, of, of love and connection. And that's good. But there is something to say about the quality of having that strength, that masculine strength, and having that detachment that it's not about me. My whole Judaism is about doing what Hashem wants. What does Hashem need from me? It's about connecting with the essence of Hashem. It's not about my fulfillment and my being so fulfilled with my relationship and my love with Hashem and my closeness to Hashem. It's, it's about my, the ability to detach myself and to totally focus on Hashem. And that takes a certain strength and that's what thanking Hashem for giving me the ability to serve Hashem, to rise above even my own spiritual fulfillment and self-satisfaction and being able just to serve Hashem just for the sake of Hashem and being able to fulfill all 613 mitzvot and doing what Hashem wants and needs to fulfill that desire, to be the warrior, to be able to go out and to be the warrior and to conquer and to take the whole world and make it into a godly world and to be able to fulfill all 613 mitzvot. In many communities, the woman says, makes a blessing. She says, That you made me exactly the way you want me to be, like you will. Our communities, we don't say it, but many communities, they do say it. And she says on the positive, interesting. She doesn't say, thank you, God, you didn't make me a man. She says, thank you, God, you made me as you will exactly as, as needed and exactly as you want and as you wish. But again, if you understand the inner meaning of the blessings, all these blessings are said with tremendous love and tremendous respect. The Talmud says a husband has to love his wife just like as much as he loves himself and he has to respect his wife more than he respects himself. And it also translates halachically. She has to dress better than he dresses himself. He can't say, well... I buy cheap suits off the rack, so it's good enough for my wife. I'll buy her a dress off uh, one of these, uh, these uh, sale places, you know. No. You have to dress her even better than you dress yourself. You have to respect her more than you respect yourself. She has to be more respect. So all of these blessings are said with tremendous love. And from this you can understand, just like we love our wives and we love our women, and tremendous respect and awe that we have for them, 
Um, also, the non-Jew, we respect the non-Jew. There's no anti-Gentilism. Uh, we have so much respect for them that we don't convert them. We actually discourage their conversion because you don't have to convert to be connected with Hashem. All of these blessings are said with tremendous love and respect. And they have a much, much deeper meaning. And we're talking about the mitzvah, the divine opportunity to do the 613 mitzvah. So we're grateful and we thank Hashem and we bless Hashem and we ask Hashem to empower us every, each and every day to live up to our Jewish potential, to actualize that Jewish potential, that we should be free and we should be free and rise above our urges and instincts and be free to actualize our potential, to live up to our maximum potential, to be complete Jews and do all the 613 mitzvot as much and as many as possible.